You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Well, good morning, church. It's good to worship with you all this morning. I hope you're having a great morning, truly. Um, If you don't know me, I'm Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's always an honor uh, to be able to teach. Um, All right, so we're in the book of Hebrews. Uh, So go ahead and open up to chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 9. This is a uh, very interesting passage. Uh, one that's slightly complex to read, not, not because, uh, you know, there's, the, the words are difficult or anything like that. Rather, it's, 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 it's because I honestly, I don't know what the text wants me to do, right? As, as I read it, I'm not really sure where, I, where I'm supposed to go with this text. Because the big question is, as we read it, is who on earth are we talking about? Is the passage about humans? about sinful humans, the type of people that strip down on Facebook and make snow angels because they feel peer pressure from children, that type of people? Or is this talking about perfect Jesus, second person of the Trinity, Jesus, divine and sinless Jesus? And that's my dilemma. And it should be obvious, right? I think to myself, this, this should be an obvious thing as I look at a text. Is this talking about Jesus God or, for example, Will Basham, right? I should know. I love Will. He's a great work friend. He's, a great, he's the best of work friends and acquaintances you could ask for. But it should be obvious that when I read a text, this is about Jesus and not about a man. And you'll see my dilemma, I think, in the text, and you'll see it in these two points, which first one is what Jesus became, and secondly, what you become. Before we unpack the text, I do want to pray. Father God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for this time where we can just be together, that we can look at your text, and Lord, I pray that you use your word to, um, to convict us, to encourage us, to show us truth, to show us who you are and who we are. I pray it drives us to worship. Lord, we love you. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first point is what Jesus became. Now let's start with verse five. It says, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. So the writer wants us to understand, right? The angels were never given dominion over creation. As cool as they are, as incredible as they may seem, angels were never given dominion over anything, right? They rule nothing. They don't rule you, not creation, not heaven, not earth, not the world to come. But why? Well, it simply just isn't their role. That's not why God created them. It's not their purpose. It's not God's design. But the writer continues this thought in verse six. Now I do like how this starts off verse six. It says, it has been testified somewhere. I kind of love that because uh, this is kind of how we quote scripture, right? I mean, nothing points more to how, like, how God uses human authors than this. Somewhere in the Bible it says it, I know it. Now the somewhere he's quoting is a song in the Bible. So what he can't remember, this place in the Bible 
It's a song. It's, let's read the song, the part of the song that he quotes. Hebrews 6 through 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And this is where my dilemma begins. Because I don't know who the writer's talking about. Again, if we looked at this, most would see the verbiage and say, well, it's Jesus, obviously. Right? I mean, the term's used, right? Son of man. This is the title given to Jesus. He's referred to as the son of man in the Gospels over 80 times. He's the uh, son of man is, is in Daniel 9 referencing Jesus, the Messiah. Obviously, this is Jesus. But we see here, right? Made a little lower than angels. Jesus leaves his throne, Right? He takes on humanity. Scripture says it best in Philippians 2, 6-7. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Obviously, Jesus. Hebrews goes on to say, this, whoever this is, has crowned him with glory and honor, right? So Jesus is king. He's going to be glorified in honor as he sits at the right hand of the Father. Obviously, this is an easy one. It's Jesus, right? And if you're not convinced yet, look at this last one. All things are put under his rule. Well, Jesus rules. And somewhere in the Bible, it testifies that all enemies are going to be a footstool for Christ. All things under his dominion. How could this possibly be about humanity? The writer of Hebrews is obviously quoting a song, and he's talking about Jesus. Except this. The song the writer is referencing is Psalm 8. And it's most definitely about humanity. Without question, it's about humanity. Now, the writer of Hebrews wants to talk about Jesus. He, he makes that abundantly clear. But why does he choose to quote a song about humanity? Now, I want to take a look at the psalm. It's, it's, it's very short. It's Psalm 8, right? It'll be on there, but you could turn to your Bibles if you'd like. It reads, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. The writer of this psalm is David. And he is simply talking about how awesome God is from man's perspective. And then he asks the question, in light of how awesome you are, God, verse 4, this will sound familiar. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Right, the question he asks is why on earth do you care about humanity? We're but dust. We're nothing. And in this case, son of man is not the title of a Messiah, but simply it could be said, uh, in other words, the, the, dude, the dude of a dad, right? The guy of a father. 
fact, you could, if the J&J version of the Bible reads, what is the man? You are mindful of him and the dude of dads that you care for them, right? It's just, it's just men. It's just guys. God, why do you, are you so kind? Why do you bless humanity? We're nothing. The song continues. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. Now we're gonna come back to verse five, but look at verse six. It says you have dominion and all things under your feet. What are all these things? Because it looks so far like Jesus talked until we see what all these things are in verse seven and eight of the psalm that the writer of Hebrews quotes. All these things are all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. This song Hebrews is quoting is talking about man thanking God for gifting him with dominion over creation. In fact, that last part in Psalm, it's, it's a direct reference to Genesis when God gives man dominion over the earth. In Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So did the writer of Hebrews make a mistake? Did he mean to quote a different passage that dealt more with the Messiah than about humanity, since he wants to talk about Jesus? Well, absolutely not. There's a reason the Lord gave this psalm to the author of Hebrews. And the writer leaves, as he leaves the song, the reason for choosing Psalm 8 becomes really clear. Look at verse 8 of Hebrews 2. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. So the writer now is starting to ponder on what does everything mean? Because if the writer is talking about humanity and Jesus, what does everything mean? That everything is in subjection to him. We actually had this conversation the other day at our house. We, uh, Maddox, it was after his first basketball game, in which I'm their coach. They haven't won a game yet. You can probably guess why. <laughs> when they saw me, they knew. They knew. All the parents knew. Um, but, but it was after their basketball game, and Maddox uh, and we took his friend Levi, Hewitt, we took him to, the, to a, a chi- the greatest Chinese buffet restaurant in Scott Depot. It's a China chef, right? And they walk in... And Levi, these two, these two boys are standing in the lobby of China Chef. And, and Levi looks amazed. And he says, so what can I get? And Maddox goes, everything. <laughs> you can get everything. You can, he says, this is amazing. He goes, you can take two, you can get two plates of noodles. Levi goes, what if I want three? He goes, you can have four. You can have all of it. He goes, you can have, I'm not making this up, you can have noodles, pudding, jello, onion rings, cheese sticks. He's enabling all the stuff that's not Chinese food that we're there to eat. You have all the good stuff for everything for a small price of $12.99 at China Chef. All can be yours. 
Here's the point. The writer is showing you God's intent for man. Man was given dominion over everything. And everything means everything. This was God's intention. And sadly, since the fall, we have been more dominated than dominion bearers. This was God's intention. And sadly, since the fall, we have we, over and over again overcome by sin and temptation, fight against the ground because of the curse of the sin. But it was God's intention for man to rule over the earth, to be given everything. Which is why the writer of Hebrews says in verse 8, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Man's sin and rebellion was and is against the Lord's design. And here's the good news. Who can thwart the will of God? No one. Not angels and not any man. And so here's the catch. Psalm 8, the reason the writer of Hebrews is now talking about Psalm 8 is because it is referring to humanity, but it's also about Christ. It is for this reason that Christ took on flesh, that he became like one of us. So the writer of Hebrews is giving two pictures. What man is supposed to be and what the what Christ the man will be. In this beautiful vision of man in Psalm 8, having dominion and being crowned and glorified, all of it will be fulfilled in the God-man, Jesus Christ. All that man was supposed to be is seen in the humanity of Jesus. And where the first Adam failed, the second Adam will succeed. Now, Hebrews is relaying to its readers the real and the fullness of Jesus' humanity. Listen, we talk a lot in the church about the divinity of Christ. Probably not enough about the humanity of Christ. So here, the writer of Hebrews is stressing the importance of the incarnation of Christ being fully man. Like God becoming man, right? This, this is not a side note of the gospel. It's a necessary note for your salvation. The writer of Hebrews already noted his divine nature, right? We saw it back in chapter one, verse three. He is the radiance and the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Right, that's pretty clear. Jesus is God. But what the church has struggled much with is the humanity of Jesus. In fact, in the early church, right, there's council among council, council and councils of, of people debating not who Jesus is, but what Jesus is. They say, okay, we, we get it, right? He's God, but he's also man. But how much, if that's the case, like how much of God is he and how much man, is it like a 60-40 split? Like what are we talking about? 
the, the, the amount of heresies that have stemmed out of this confusion and unwillingness to accept the real humanity of Christ is, the, the list goes on and on and on. Two of them, right? One called docetism, this idea that Jesus is God, but he only appeared to be man. Like, like, like he's like a hologram. Right? He's not, he's not real. I mean, like, he, he looked real to us, right? But he's a hologram. He's, that's, that's, and, and, and when it looked like he was suffering on the cross, he's just a really good actor. He just appeared to be. But this better not be the case. Because if, if Christ was not man, and he was, he, he didn't live a sinless life as a man, he didn't die as a man, and therefore there was no resurrection. Thus your faith is in vain, Scripture says. Then you have another one, Apollinarianism. All right, all right, he's fully God. He's not a hologram, but he's, he's, he's part man, right? He's, he's um, and I guarantee you, if I polled you and asked you to describe who God is, most of us would find ourselves in this camp. They'd say, okay. They would say, okay, uh, he's divine, obviously, 100%, fully God. Uh, he has a divine nature, but it just exists in a human body. He doesn't have a full human nature. He has a divine nature inside like a human casing. Well, this better not be the case. Because for man, for us to have a substitute, a part man can't be the substitute. Christ must be fully God and fully man. This is biblical orthodoxy, the hypostatic union. Amongst the church, there have been, there is, and there will be counterfeit gospels that attack his deity without question, but there will be just as many and have been that want to strip Jesus of his humanity. Again, his humanity is core to the gospel. For humanity to be saved, a perfect, real man had to die. Not a part man, but a sinless man had to be our substitute. He goes on in verse 9. But we see him for who a little while was made lower than angels, namely Jesus. So we're mostly talking about Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. We see a Jesus who showed humility that we'll never comprehend, right? Because we are not gods. We never sat on a throne of glory. We never had to voluntarily come off that throne and be humiliated and killed by a bunch of rebellious people, becoming man to save man. To see what the Lord gave up and endured for us. We'll spend eternity trying to comprehend that and worshiping him for that. I mean, what, what will we think when we see Christ sitting on the throne, knowing that he became like us so that we could be redeemed? Truly, what grace and what mercy But if this is true, 
If what we've said is true, then it only gets better. And, and honestly, at this point, it gets hard to grasp. And I, I think, unless you're some like, egotistical monster, I think you'll share that with me. That we're going to be blown away by what Scripture has to say about what you will become. Which is the second point. As we've covered in the past, right, you don't become an angel, right? You're not Dolly Parton, an unlikely angel, right? But there is a hint of what you do become in this passage, right? Listen, let's go back and look at Hebrews 7 and 8. You made him for a little while lower than angels. Remember, this is about a psalm dealing with humanity. Now, the writer of Hebrews means us to see Christ in this text. But in the same text, you should see yourself. Because you are for a little while made lower than angels. Which means you and I, one day are going to be greater than angels. Right? Think about that. You, you, you know your sin and baggage. You are going to be greater than angels. Right? I, I think maybe they'll be making movies about us, like humans in the outfield or something. <laughs> maybe they will go out in the snow and make uh, will angels. I don't know. Probably snow wheels. Probably not. Probably not. I hope not. <laughs> but listen, listen to... Listen to what scripture says about your position among angels. 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Saints will judge the world. We will judge angels. Now some of you are looking forward to that, right? You're good at judging. You spend like a whole lifetime practicing, right? Right? But listen, this isn't going to look like heaven's got talent, right? Nothing like that. The word judge here just simply means to rule over. That's it. It implies that we have some role in the judgment of demons and maybe even exercise some authority over angels. But think about that for a moment. Who are you and I that we should do such a thing to judge angels? But that's not all. He continues. Let's look at that second line of the song that both points to Jesus and humanity. You've crowned him with glory and honor. Will humanity receive a crown of glory and honor? Do you receive a crown? James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You, you, with all your sin, with all your struggle, with all your neglect, you will be crowned with glory. You will receive a crown You know what you'll do with that crown? The same thing as the saints in Revelation 4. You'll cast them at the feet of Jesus. And it doesn't surprise me, by the way, that I would cast my crown at the feet of Jesus. What surprises me, and hopefully you, is that you would have a crown at all. 
Right? I imagine I would look at the crown and just say, like, participation, right? There's like, no, it's just a participation crown that we all get for being in Christ. He continues. Seven and eight. So we're crowned with glory and honor. But look at this last line. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Right? Subjection means to rule over. So we know Jesus will rule over all, but surely not us, not humanity. Surely not redeemed saints. Now, I don't know if this passage is on the screen, so you might have to open up your Bible. Look at Romans 8, 16 through 17. Listen to what is in store for you. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you hear that? Fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Co-heirs with Christ. You and me. Galatians 4, 7, right? So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Listen, I don't know what it's going to look like. But to think that you and I have any authority at all in heaven seems unbelievable. Truly. Like, I, I look in the mirror, and I know for a fact, right? I know my heart. I've told, I mean, all of us are in this. I've told, I've told my wife, right? If everyone knew what went through my mind and in my heart, like, I'd have no friends, not even work friends. No one would want anything to do with me. I'd have nothing. So it's crazy to think that you and I will be honored, exalted, made a prince and a princess? It's crazy. I think, I think, I just imagine like I would be a vendor selling tacos in heaven. Like I would be like something small, barely noticed. But listen to me. When scripture says that God redeemed you, it's that he purchased you back from death. But scripture doesn't say he simply redeems you. Our Lord goes beyond that. As amazing as that is, and as unworthy we are of that, he goes beyond redemption. He says he restores you. Restores me back to what? I want you to remember back to Genesis. Remember when God had given man dominion over the earth? when he gave him everything. And he walked with Adam. He walked with Adam and Eve. They were together. And then they sinned. And then they hid. And what does God say? He says in verse nine of chapter three, the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? Now this is a, it doesn't translate well. It's not where are you in the sense of like, I don't know where you're at. You're really good at this hide and seek game, Adam. You should make this a thing, right? This is, this is not that. 
When he says, where are you? It has to do with position. What it literally means is, why are you not in your place beside me? Why are you not where you belong, Adam? Beside me, with me. The promise of our passage today in Hebrews and the promise of Psalm 8 is that through Jesus, humanity will both be redeemed and restored. That Christ Jesus, the second Adam, that he will be our representative and that through his work and through his mercy, we exist, exalted, that will be honored by the God of the universe. Listen, if that doesn't blow you away, I, I, I don't know if you understand your sin. Joy and I were talking last night about this, about this passage. And she, we were just talking, it's like, listen, if, if I got like a studio apartment in heaven, I'm fine. Like, that's all I need. Like, just a hammock, actually. I don't even need a roof. I'll be fine with a hammock. But the Lord says, listen, I got something greater in store for you. You have no idea. You have no idea. Like heaven will not be you floating around and chilling in some shack, just, just existing in eternity, right? He says, I've restored you, ex- making you eternally a co-heir with Christ. Putting everything in subjection under your feet. It's a weird thought that we who deserve death would ever be exalted by the king of glory. And before we are tempted to boast or think highly of ourselves, remember it was through Christ's humiliation, through his utter humiliation, that you are able to be exalted. Right? Your exaltation had a price. You can have everything, everything, but there was a cost. Which is why our exaltation, it will testify to the grace and mercy of our Lord. And listen, it won't be lost on anyone. It won't be lost on anyone that we don't deserve it. Right, scripture says that you will test that your presence there will testify to his glorious grace. Right? When we see each other, it's like, oh my, you are here? You? God is really gracious. <laughs> when you see that what you're restored to, listen, you won't be able to stop singing Psalm 8. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is man that you are mindful of us? And no doubt, he will answer you because I love you. I love you and you were mine before time. I chose you to be my sons and daughters. You are God's eternal legacy of his mercy, evidence of his patience, his kindness, and his long-suffering. 
The Lord became man to both redeem humanity and to restore saints, to even exalt humanity. So again, for all eternity, we will sing of his glorious grace. Look at verse nine of Hebrews. But we will see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And hear this, so that by grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Your God, he tasted death for you. He tasted death so that you may taste life that is an eternal life, a restored life, a redeemed life. Right? The sun consumes death pouring out his life that we may be lavished with the benefits of a resurrected Jesus. Look, this week, I pray that you store up his words in your heart. I, I pray that you think about your redemption, that you think about the promises of a full restoration, that you can anticipate being restored. Pray that you remember his grace, his immense grace and mercy towards you as you sin, because you will sin this week, I assure you. You'll sin today. And as you do, think upon these verses that the God of heaven came off his throne to redeem and restore you, to exalt you, man. Think about that today and as you go. Let it be an encouragement. Let it fuel you. And let what you are in Christ, let that alone be your identity. For his glory and for our good. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.